Welcome to the Perspectives with Catherine Toon podcast. All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Catherine Toon, and welcome to Perspectives with Catherine Toon. And I truly have such a personal joy this morning because I have Karen Welton on with me. Now, Chris, I'm going to read you her bio just in case you may not know who she is or may not know well about who she is. Um, but I just have to say, Karen was one of those people she, she champions women. And she was one of those people that championed me when I was in a really crappy place and, um, just a, just a hurting pup. Uh, and she saw the gold and called out the gold, even when I don't know how goldy I was looking. (laughs) And, and, um, and that's just such a beautiful thing about you. And I'm just so happy to have you uh, on the podcast. So welcome, Karen. Thank you for having me. So let me just read her quick little bio. She's so modest. (laughs) Uh, Karen Walton is a women's empowerment speaker. I love that. Uh, Birth and life coach, certified doula and childbirth educator. Her best-selling e-course teaches women how to tap into the innate power to access a pain-free birth experience. She lives in Rochester, New York with her husband and three spunky and I will add adorable little girls because I love seeing your posts on that. But anyway, welcome, Karen. And you have such a powerful testimony from so many different angles. And, you know, I've been tracking with you a bit. There have been some really rugged patches um, that I've been happy to kind of help you along with. Um, but most of it is you and Jesus and and all of that. So thank you. And I, I love um, the fact that, you know, you have this message to carry uh, and to release. And I know people are going to be really, really blessed. So thank you for coming on. So Karen, kind of what's on your heart? Why don't you start off a little bit with your testimony um, and however, in whatever spot that you want to um, to tap into. And, you know, if you, I can give you a few ideas of where to launch or you can just dive in wherever you want to do yeah, you know, I don't really even know where to start. We were talking this morning, and I, but I just do feel called by the Lord to share my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it's a story just of redemption of what He's done in my life over the last few years and where He's brought me to in this place and the heart I have for other women to be able to step into freedom and empowerment and joy and seeing breakthrough in their life as a result. So um, I'm not sure where to begin. I guess I could start from the, you know, a few years ago, um, I experienced a pretty big betrayal in my life with my husband and I, we were in ministry and uh, he was exposed as having done a lot of things, inappropriate things, um, manipulation, there was talk of narcissism and we separated for for a time. I happened to be seven and a half months, almost eight months pregnant when it was all exposed and it was new to me. And I think it's so fitting that I'm here now sharing my story on your podcast because, you know, Catherine, you say I was someone who championed you, but you really championed me when I was in one of my darkest places during this season. And I um, reached out to you for counseling and you really helped me 
when I think you said at one point that I was just so bloody and broken (laughs) and spiritually and that I had so many wounds and you really just came in and bandaged them. So um, it's just an incredible what God has done in my life and uh, the message I feel like he's released me to share um, is one of hope and and I and I I guess it was such a there's been so many battles up and down and yeah. it is not a straight wanna... line <laughs> right it's like whoa okay yeah it's been I mean it's it, it was difficult to watch you go through it so you know you know it's bad when it's so painful to watch someone go through a process um, and you know it's like oh my gosh what would it be like to have been there so share what that was there was the, the betrayal. Um, yeah. know, ministry with a very public, in a very public way, um, mm-hmm. and things really tanked. So, um, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was very public. And that's what made it very difficult for me. I had to face a lot of shame over how public it was. Right. And not, I don't think it had to be that way. My husband was given the opportunity to repent and to own his mistakes and inappropriate behavior many times, but he, chose to continue to deflect and blame and gaslight people and manipulate and throw people under the bus. So he covered up a lot of the issues as they were, as people and his staff and other um, members and friends around him were bringing things to his attention, but he couldn't see it there. You know, he was very blind, very deceived. And um, it came to a point where they, they decided the board that had been placed, you know, around him said, this is, He's not submitting to the process. He's still choosing to lie manipulate. And so we have to send out a letter, you know, saying that this is what's going on and exposing this. And they did the right thing. So um, at the time, I didn't really understand at all what the problem really was or what was happening. And it was kind of like the tip of the iceberg had been exposed. And then as so we separated and I just felt like I got sidelined. Like I didn't know what was really going on. It felt very unfair. It felt very like, what is happening? And I, and I really couldn't believe I felt betrayed by him most of all. And then on like everything was exposed. So I felt totally uncovered and unsafe and really just had to press into Jesus and go, okay, you, I I have to trust you. I don't know who else to turn to. Um, and he became very in, in being like in having everything exposed, he was not as my husband was not a safe place for him because he was trying to grapple with it and make sense of it himself mm-hmm. and angry and at himself and, and just angry at everyone around. Mm-hmm. So um, we separated for three months at the council of, you know, Danny Silk was involved and aboard. Um, I was seven and a half months pregnant, as I said. And that time was really very powerful because it was, um, I didn't, I'd never been in a position to have to depend on people as much as I did. I had two young kids and I was pregnant and separated from my husband. Um, and so I really saw the church and body of Christ step up and support me in a big way during that time. Um, and for a long time, I didn't know even if he was going to be at the birth mm-hmm. of our third daughter at the time. Um, so this is 2018 at the end of 2018, September that, that I, discovered and everyone else discovered, okay, he's lying and there's inappropriate things going on in his um, business and among his staff. And there's just a lot of, of inappropriate things. So uh, my daughter was due October at the end of October. And so that was a very tumultuous season for me. And I just 
remember, you know, at probably my lowest point, feeling like I couldn't sleep, I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't take care of my kids. It was really so traumatizing to walk through this. And I just remember like crying all day long. And at one point, like collapsing in my closet, like naked, nine months pregnant, like couldn't even, didn't even have the energy to like get dressed and just crying. And I remember thinking like, this is definitely got to be like one of the biggest lows. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Um, and I just saw the Lord come through for me. And I remember like just playing worship music all the time and really depending on him mm-hmm. to give me the strength to go forward. Um, and there was so much controversy surrounding it that, you know, to have everyone speaking in and giving their opinions and their, um, you know, t- t- exposing more and more as things went on, it was like, okay, this, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, and then I had, so I had this feeling like, I don't know who to trust. Who can I share my heart with? And I can't trust my husband because he's apparently a pathological liar. <laughs> so, so like, who do I turn to? And I think, um, so th- after, um, so we had in meeting, you know, that we were meeting with counsel throughout this. And I remember coming to this place and it was at the delivery where, where I, I really called my husband out and said, like, I need you to st- step up and, and man up and be there for me if you want to be at this birth. So that was kind of the biggest, one of the early um, transitions or breakthroughs that happened was I, I had been praying for a supernatural pain-free birth, just like I'd had with my other two. And God, with this pregnancy, promised me, you will, this this one, I prayed with all my births. What What is this one going to be known for? What is this going to be marked by? And he said, this one will be marked by uh, peace and intimacy. And I specifically felt like he meant intimacy with my husband. And I thought, okay, that's awesome. And that wasn't really the mood, the like the theme of the other ones, but I think that'd be awesome at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this all happens and we're separated and I can't, I'm not even barely talking to him. And I'm like, God, how is that possible? Like, how is this birth going to be marked by peace and intimacy when my life is chaos right now? I mean, I feel like I'm in the middle of a storm and trauma and my husband is like gone off the rails <laughs> and I can't trust him. How am I going to have intimacy when I can't even trust what he says? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, it came to this place where he, I said, you, if you even want to be there, you need to step up and I don't want you to bring all your stress and anxiety into my world. Like I'm right. trying to have prepare for having a baby here. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I really actually love her birth story. It's my, probably one of my favorites because, um, at the, he really did step up for me at the time. And he, he's like, okay, um, what do you need? How can I support you? And he put aside all of his anxieties and issues mm-hmm. to support me. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point, um, being in the tub while my doulas and midwives were filling, it was a home birth. And so they were filling up the tub and getting everything ready. Um, I remember being in the, uh, our bathroom in, in our room privately and the doors closed and we brought a candle in and, he was just pouring water over my belly and I was in active labor. And I remember saying my mantra at that time was like, I accept you speaking like to my body and the contractions. Cause I realized they were starting to hurt. They were getting painful. And with my others, the Lord showed me how to work with my body so that the contractions didn't hurt and they weren't painful, but these were starting to get painful. I knew it was getting intense and I realized I'm resisting them. I'm resisting and fighting them. And so I said, 
I accept you. I came to the, it was like this spiritual moment where I had to face my reality. And I mean, I had to do that at several points, but this one was, was very, um, I think meaningful because I really came to this point of, I had to accept what was happening in my body and the contractions and speaking that as a mantra over myself, I accept you. I accept you contraction. You know what to do in my body. This is good. You come and you go. And at the same time, I was accepting my husband and accepting this situation that I couldn't control and accepting the trauma and the mess that my life was at the time crazy, Uh, and coming to this place of acceptance Mm -hmm. without trying to control anything without trying to fix it without Mm -hmm. trying to analyze or psychoanalyze or assess whether are you healthy or not have you truly repented or not you know what how do I behave you know all these questions that had been filling my heart for Mm -hmm. for the last month and a half causing me to not even sleep at night you know Mm -hmm. I came to this place of acceptance and I just said, I, I accept you. And I looked and I said it to my contractions and I said it to him and I said, I accept you. Um, and, and accepting him on the journey where he was recognizing you're not healed yet. You're not there yet. I don't know if I can even trust you yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to welcome you back into my heart or my life yet, but I accept that this is where you are and I don't have to control that. And so it was this powerful moment. Right. When I looked back, I realized, well, God totally answered that promise he gave me for peace and intimacy in her labor. Um, And it came out of me accepting the whole situation and allowing him to take control. (laughs) That is so amazing. I mean, wow. In the, in the middle of labor. So that, that's so remarkable and amazing how what God spoke over you, you let permeate and even I, and I, and I love the fact that you sort of didn't do it perfectly. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm resisting. I need to accept. And then embracing even this relationship with your husband where he's at, knowing that he's not fully healed. There's a lot that goes with that. That's not yeah. nice or whatever unknown and all of that. And, um, <clears throat> and just being able to, uh, lean on the grace of God to be able to do that. It's totally supernatural, all of that and all the different dimensions of that. So beautiful. How did, how did things go from there? Yeah. And and I'll just say too, like, I felt like God brought me to a place where I, because I knew in my, for my own body and my own labor, I'm not going to, unless I feel completely safe, Mm -hmm. my labor is not going to go well. Like if I have to protect myself and that's what my worry was, was like, I think if you're not, if I don't have my husband there, well, if I had him there, am I going to feel safe enough to fully take my walls down and be vulnerable? But if he's not there, that's the trauma in and of itself because right. I, my mind is going to say, well, see, your husband's not even here and how horrible. And, and so I, it was like, choose your trauma, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like a trauma it, God, and a trauma. Really, yes. Oh, my goodness. That prayer. Mm-hmm. So he brought this safety and this peace in my, into my world when I had just chaos. And um, But at the same time, so I had her and the contractions changed. They weren't painful after that. In fact, Separate. I thought they were false contractions because wow. the intensity went down like 80% once I accepted them. Wow. So that was just this beautiful story. I ended up getting in the tub and had her there. He got in the tub with me and caught wow. her, which he hadn't done for any of the other ones. And it just was like everyone in the room just stood back and watched in awe. Like it was, the, you could just feel the presence of the Lord was so thick and wow. the peace and the intimacy was just so present there. So and so... 
after that, I felt like, wow, this, that was, God answered my prayers. I was so thankful. And I felt like things were doing better and we were like on the right course. And, but I didn't, I didn't end the separation because I knew we both still had more work to do. And I, I still had pain and hurt and he still had a lot of emotional work to do also. Um, so we, we did continue, like we were both seeing counselors. I think at the, around that time was when I reached out to you, you said December, right. I think we had our first session. And I remember just feeling like, I need, I need a woman who's not involved in this because all my friends, all everyone in ministry who was around us in our church, in our ministry, in our, in our lives was also hurt by him because he didn't just lie and like me, he did to everyone in his life. So I found I couldn't depend or lean on my friends and my support system because they were also hurt by him. Right. And it was like a conflict of interest. Like, how, who do I even go to to talk to to share about this? Because I don't want to feel like I have to, you know, put up a, a, a face right. to, or, right. or prove something to you or right. convince you of something. Like, there was just so much. And I just felt like that was a season of, like, truly, like, I felt so uh, isolated and alone. And I right. think that's been the hardest thing walking through this is just feeling so isolated and alone throughout many seasons of this. And so I reached out to you and we had our first session. And I think I just didn't want to, I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. Like, I don't want to be making the wrong choices. Like, this is a big deal. I don't want to, like, allow him to come back and, like, go just go back to normal life if this right. isn't really dealt with and healed first. Right. Right. Um, and so he we did, you know, in working with counselors, I think it was with you and Danny Silk and lots of other people. Right. He, around Christmas time, we, I invited him to come back and it felt like the right thing. There was that peace was still there. I felt mm-hmm. peace and good. And he had done a lot to invest in his own healing and, and counseling. Mm-hmm. And so we had a wonderful kind of season for a while. And then things got, um, really, intense again I think it was in uh so it was 2019 as you said is when I called you Mm -hmm. up and I think so I was coming to this point of realizing like okay I need to deal with these wounds like I spent so much energy putting up walls protecting myself Mm -hmm. that I realized I I actually never got these things healed like I worked so hard to put up healthy boundaries right and keep you you know keep everyone out that I felt hurt by, especially my husband, like, okay, I don't know. And trying to like offer, oh, this is how you hurt me. And then not knowing, are you even going to respond appropriately? Do you have the emotional capacity to take care of my pain? Right. And then realizing like, it's not his job to do that. I have to go to the Lord for that. Right. And so you really helped me. I showed up like bloody and broken. And because we were, we had at that time, he had moved home and we were reconciling. Mm-hmm. And I felt triggered. Like there were things that would come up that I was like, I don't trust you. Like, this is still painful. This hurts. Like, why, why would I believe you? And so these things kept coming up and you really kind of came in like this mother hen, just like put your arm around me. And we prayed through these things. We had these like hour and a half, two hour long sessions where you just helped me heal and process. And I just remember crying for like so long about how I felt so broken and all of these feelings. And it wasn't just what he did. It was like years of feeling emotionally manipulated, years of feeling put down, years of feeling like, you know, used and all of the emotion that came with that as I was like the veils were coming off my eyes to see 
what what was had actually been happening like the even the emotional abuse which i never could see i never really considered this like an abusive relationship like right. he was never violent he never hit me so i thought oh this is he's just really arrogant or insecure or, or needs a lot of alone time he's just very introverted in this whatever like i made all these excuses over the years and right. then realizing this is actually very dysfunctional this is not normal mm-hmm. this is even emotionally abusive so, right. <laughs> and so grappling with the magnitude of the pain that was there and, and seeing it for the first time, you really brought so much healing to my heart. Um, and also the controversy of everyone around was also so hard to deal with because I felt like, should, should I see it this way? What's the right perspective to have? You know, and right. it was so confusing for a long time to so much try to all the same make time. sense of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, And you got married very young. And so that was also coming on the heels of a very you know, for your age, uh, many years. And so this normal, this is what normal is. Yes, exactly. I didn't know what was dysfunctional because normal to me, the dysfunction was normal. Like Mm -hmm. we, I got married, I was 19, almost 20. Right. Um, you know, he was probably my first boyfriend, a serious boyfriend. I had some other, but it was, you know, and he, you know, he was a year and a half older than me, not super older, but, um, there was just, such a bond immediately that I couldn't see clearly like this is not we argue a lot and and I feel like like it, there was a lot of stonewalling in our relationship like he would get triggered and then shut down and stonewall me or like silent treatment or you know and then I might say something and he'd get triggered again later but it was kind of a cycle like it right. would just kind of happen it's hard to see the again. cycles when that's kind of the normalcy you just feel the pain yeah. of it you get some points but you're not seeing the gestalt, yeah. the overall picture and the patterns that are just recurrent that are unhealthy patterns. That's why it's helpful to, to have someone outside of that say, wait, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> we got issues yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. got issues. <laughs> yes. 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 So for the, so I felt like you helped me tremendously process a lot of that pain and I'm, and I'm, forever be grateful for that and I had other people a lot of people supported me during that time um and then when he but when he came home it also scared a lot of people it was like my process was different than theirs like right. they didn't have their trust rebuilt yet but he had been working we I've been seeing him every day and you're co-parenting and I'm seeing him work on himself and so it was it was an interesting season and then throughout 2019 um, he, he continued to work hard and get lots of counseling, lots of therapy. And I saw him continue to stay with it. We had sort of like this honeymoon period. It was all, um, you know, making sense. We went to Hawaii as a family, but then I started to notice like things are like, he would still get triggered. He would still like, um, uh, like blame shift or think th- as things were going on. And then there was tension building with, some of the leaders in the process and, and in his at the church and at the end of the year. And so in and at that time, Danny had been working with us the whole time. He released his book, Unpunishable, and it told our story in there. And so that came out in 2020, I believe, somewhere in February, maybe mm-hmm. January, February. I'm not, I could be getting the dates wrong, but um, because a lot of other people weren't along in that process with us, mm-hmm. they felt very... Um, sidelined mm-hmm. by the release of this book and they didn't I think their story wasn't told it was a story about what God had done and 
what has been happening in the restoration process with mm-hmm. Jonathan and I. Um, but a lot of the people that were hurt by him, the former, right. you know, the people who got the worst of um, the way he would manipulate and use people who were vulnerable and exploit mm-hmm. their weaknesses and depend on them, like emotionally manipulate people mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the inappropriate behavior, those people were never really addressed or cared mm-hmm. for or, or consulted. Sure. And so sure. it sort of ignited this whole firestorm and everybody started saying like, this is not okay. Like he's still dangerous. He's not fit to be in leadership. This No one ever talked to us about this. And mm-hmm. th- there was so much controversy over how it was handled. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like there's this new firestorm. Like I'm walking through it all over again. Like the trauma of 2018 now is reignited right. in 2020. 2018, 2.0. Yes. So much more. <laughs> I think I called you at one point. And I was like, we might just need another session here. <laughs> and um, so it really exposed even more. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, there was, and I was realizing too, I'm seeing red flags in our relationship. I'm seeing that there's still triggers. I'm seeing there's still, there's a lack of empathy. There's a lot of blame shifting going on. There's gaslighting. I'm, and I'm starting to understand the cycle of narcissistic abuse more. And I'm doing my research and I'm realizing I think this is happening. And I don't think it got dealt with. I don't like we had this wonderful year together. But when poked, when triggered, those patterns, those narcissistic patterns of gaslighting and blame shifting and defensiveness and manipulation were getting poked and happening. And then there'd be this quiet period, this honeymoon period of like, okay, well, let, I'm so sorry I did that. And, you know, let me win you and back. The and then the tension would build again. again. And yes. it would just cycle through to the point that I was like, this is so predictable. Like, I'm like, I don't even want to connect with you or get close to you because I know the moment we do, you're going to sabotage it within 24 hours and we're going to get in a huge fight. And I'm going to be arguing with you. And I'm like, I don't, why am I even participating in this? Like, so he ended up, um, his church kicked him out. He, they realized he's not being trustworthy. He's not being honest. He's still manipulating, trying to rebuild, not rebuild things, but just like win people over. Or if you don't, you know, if you're not, if you are confronting him, then he would push you away. And right. here I am, his wife. We're living together and I'm confronting him. Right. And it became very, <laughs> um, lots of conflict because I'm realizing I'm seeing these behaviors. I'm seeing people step up and say things and him dismissing them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's a lot of pain that you caused. And I don't think you get it. I don't think you see right. the damage you really did here. I don't think you understand how much pain you put me through mm-hmm. and all of these women around you who worked for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you understand how much you hurt them and all the people that, you know, he had a prominent position as a leader in ministry. Sure. Many, many people looked up to him. Many mm-hmm. churches and ministries were partnered with him. He had a school with students and many of them, you know, were, um, were a part of the school for years right. and all of them felt betrayed to some different degree. Right. And I just saw him and realized I don't, see empathy like I see you admitting it I see you apologizing I see you going oh whatever but Mm -hmm. I this thing started to occur to me like I don't know if he really dealt with this I don't Mm -hmm. and and as I'm realizing this is a narcissistic pattern Mm -hmm. and everyone says like oh narcissism can never be healed they never change it's Mm -hmm. like one percent that change Mm -hmm. and I'm like I I don't think I can I can stay married to somebody who doesn't know the pain they cause because if he doesn't understand it he's going to do it again it. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly and so during that time in early 2020 when all of this was kicking up again 
and I'm seeing the red flags in her home. (laughs) And I started meeting with a psychologist Mm -hmm. um, who'd actually worked with several of the other women and the victims who he had hurt. Mm -hmm. I started working with him as well. He started helping me see what the dynamics were and understanding the pathology behind it, which I, Mm -hmm. which I was learning about, but then he really helped me clearly see it. Um, And a lot of the grooming and predatory behavior that was going on behind the scenes and how I started recognizing like, wow, this is not just been like a one time occurrence. This has been a pattern through your life where you're using vulnerable people's vulnerabilities for your game. And it became very scary to me because I thought, if you don't really get this, <laughs> like, and I could see it even back in our dating relationship, like yeah. I felt used, I felt manipulated. I felt like I got sucked into this enmeshed codependent relationship before right. I was even ready. Right. And I saw it in me and other women, even when we were like 16 years old, I'm like, you were doing this when we were dating and you were manipulating other women and you were grooming them. And it like, it's all making sense. Right. And I read the psychological reports on it and I thought, um, how I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can stay married to someone who everyone is is saying like, oh, this behavior is predatory and grooming and narcissistic. And if he hasn't changed and he doesn't get it, I don't think I can I can do this for the next 20, 30 years. Right. Right. <laughs> and that decision for me was weighed on my heart so heavily. I think the the mental torment I walked through last year in early 2020 mm-hmm. far surpassed the trauma of when it initially was exposed because at that time I thought this is horrible, but we're going to make it through Mm -hmm. this time. I realized I can't stay with this person. And that was for me a huge decision because I'm facing, okay, I'm financially dependent on this person. Um, I don't have a way to support myself. I just launched my business, um, my pain-free birth business, but it wasn't profitable at the time. And I have three young children and a newborn, a one-year-old. And um, and nowhere and to, go, to go, really, right? Where do I go? Right. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't even know where to go. Like, I, I could move in with my mom and sleep on her couch with three kids right. and sign up for welfare. Like, I had right. no exit strategy. (laughs) Right. Right. And so I I actually signed up for a course for women who like are in narcissistic relationships to try to figure out what are you going to do. Mm -hmm. And that helped me further understand this cycle. Mm -hmm. Um so I got I became very bold about calling it out and not being concerned with his reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think for many years I tiptoed around things. Right. And I felt like I was always walking on eggshells so that I wouldn't trigger him. Right. And I got to the point where I was like, I don't even care. Like, this is a problem. (laughs) Like, you you will be abusive Mm -hmm. in your reaction. And that was something that was very hard for him to accept. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized this hasn't changed and I don't know if it ever will. And the moment, and and I remember battling the torment in my mind for probably a month or two months Mm -hmm. leading up to this decision and, and feeling complete, like just torment. Like this is, I'm giving up my whole life. I'm walking away. Mm signing up for, you know, like I have to find a way to, it's not just a separation. This is like a life change. You know, we were 16 years married at that point. Mm -hmm. We have three young children Mm -hmm. and I'm not just making this decision for me. This is for my kids. Like I'm, this is going to break up our family. They're going to have to live with divorced parents. Like it weighed on me so much because it's not just my life. Like it's theirs too. And 
I realized, though, if I stay, it's showing them that this is normal, that this dysfunction, this this pathology, this, Mm -hmm. you know, we put up with this, right? All good. (laughs) You know, I don't want them to see that this is this dysfunction is normal and then have to get healing for that later. I'd rather them see their mom say no more enough is enough. And we're going to have a healthy relationship with mom and dad and co-parent, but also that there's, you don't have to tolerate abusive behavior. So I just kind of felt like I have to trust God in this and know he's going to provide for me Mm -hmm. and my girls Mm -hmm. no matter what. Right. But I have to make the right decision and separate this is not like I can't I just couldn't do it anymore so um at that time COVID had just hit and it was you know COVID hit right in 2020 in March and this is all being kicked up again and there's so much controversy again in the public eye and I'm realizing you know what they're right he hasn't healed I'm still experiencing this at home and I need to separate and so I sat down with him and I was like, here's what I see. I see that this has been a pattern for our whole relationship, not just like the last year, you know, issues 10 years ago. And I saw the same patterns when we were dating, when we were teenagers, like Mm -hmm. this hasn't changed. And I'm still feeling this narcissistic cycle of the abuse and all that that Mm -hmm. I described. And I just, and he kind of sat there and was like, yeah, you know, I can see how that all makes sense. I'm like, how do you feel about that? Like, Mm -hmm. and I just felt like there was no empathy. So I, I had already made the choice to separate. The moment I made that choice in my own heart, mm-hmm. it was like all the confusion, all the pain, all the trauma, all the like mental chaos in my head immediately settled and was quiet. And mm-hmm. I, it was like I stepped into this like quiet, peaceful zone mentally. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge confirmation for me that I was making the right decision right. because I right. felt so much peace. Right. And I thought, okay, God, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how he's going to react. I don't know how I'm going to support myself. I don't know right. how it's going to affect our kids. Right. And I could worry and fret and try to control it all and plan it all out, but I can't. So I just have to trust you. So I, right. I told him, all right, we, we, I need a separation. Mm-hmm. This is not working. I can't stay married to you. Um, mm-hmm. Either you go or I go. And I didn't know, like, is he going to put up a fight? And I was fully prepared to move out and just sleep on my mom's couch if I needed to. But I was like, I can't be with you anymore. And he kind of looked at me stunned, like he didn't know what to say. And I was like, well, you think about it. I'm going to bed. (laughs) Like, I didn't even have to fight. I felt so free and so powerful. I, like, I didn't need an answer. I didn't even need an answer from you. All I knew was this is my choice. I'm taking my power back and I'm no longer going to participate in this dysfunctional abusive relationship. So no matter how much it looks pretty, Mm -hmm. it's not, there's still issues. (laughs) That's amazing because you took back the power that you did have, which is what you're going to do. Like, so you're basically saying, this is what I'm doing. You're not telling him what to do. You're saying, this is not okay. And this is what I'm going to do in response to it. Even though, you know, I could end up on welfare on my mom's couch, but you're just drawing a line in the sand and the peace that you had with that just brought all the clarity you have, you know, that we're we're led by the spirit of peace, even though, you know, externally it sucky options, like sucky and sucky, but (laughs) right. Right. It's like, no, this is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and in doing that, coming to that point in myself, that I had to say, I'm done. I'm no more. Right. It really freed me because I was no longer 
codependent. And I think that was a big thing the Lord had was working on me throughout this whole season was working on that codependency that I didn't know. Like if if you want, if you're in an abusive relationship and there is narcissism or there's any of the signs of it, Mm -hmm. it, there has to be a codependent one that's enabling this. And I had to look at myself and go, where, why do I need this? Where, where is my need? Where is my codependency? Where is, where am I enabling this? Where am I enmeshed? Where am I trying to fit something to make it work that's not working? Mm -hmm. And so in coming to that decision of, okay, I, I'm stepping out this, I'm no longer participating in this dysfunction. It set me free from needing him from being under any kind of power or influence where he could just kind of come back and rope me back in. And I just was like, I'm done. No, like, like you do whatever you want. Right. I, I'm out. Right. <laughs> like right. you leave or, or I'm, if you don't leave, right. I'm leaving. Right. Exactly. And he didn't fight it. Mm-hmm. He didn't argue. And I left, I walked out. I was like, I'm not going to get in an argument with you because that mm-hmm. gives away more of my power and right. more of my energy that I don't mm-hmm. need to even give you. So right. here's my decision. And I'm asking you to leave. If you don't leave, I will. Right. And so the next morning I, I, well, I said, okay, figure it out. I'm going to bed. Right. Like, this is not my battle to fight. <laughs> the Lord I, is going right. to fight this battle. In your, in your so court. the next, mm-hmm. yeah, the next morning he packed up his things and he moved, he moved out, um, moved in with his pants. And so I felt like this, I could take a huge deep breath. And I was like, I need to just, I just felt like I needed to move forward with my life regardless of what he did. Um, and realizing this is, this is just what I need to do. And I really just was so dependent on the Lord. At the same time, it's COVID. Everything's locked down. Nobody's getting together. And I felt completely isolated alone. And like, I didn't know who I could even go to. Um, but at the time, what really started in that decision of me putting my foot down and really, truly like considering divorce, like getting lawyers and, <laughs> and getting phone numbers right. for, for divorce attorneys. And my dad and my family stepped in in a big way and supported me during this time when nobody else was around. So right. my dad supported me. My mom would come over, my sister would come over and, and spend the night and help me put the kids to bed. Um, and they were really my main support system. And um, Jonathan, my husband felt like, okay, I've tried everything and not to, you know, to his credit, he really had, he had gone and flown across the country to go meet with experts on narcissism over the last year and a half. He, he went to Tony Robbins events. He spent countless hours in counseling and therapy with psychologists who understood narcissism and, um, people doing inner healing, lots Mm -hmm. and lots of it, like Mm -hmm. twice a week for months on end. So it's not that he wasn't trying really hard. Right. It was just that he never got to the root issues. Wasn't really, the, yeah, working, getting to the root issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and really when you understand, when you, for anyone who's experienced narcissism or whatever label you might mm-hmm. call it, it really comes from a childhood trauma. Sure. There's, there's childhood trauma that happened that stunted emotional growth and makes mm-hmm. you have to like hide who you really are and put on the masks and try to become you know, be this perfect person on the outside in order to get supply, to get approval, to get recognition, to get feel um, powerful, to mm-hmm. feel like you matter, like you like you could be loved because who you are really can't be loved. And right. so he he began his own journey. We kind of went on this separate path where I had to go step into my own power in a big way and step away from the dysfunction. And he went on this journey of really healing the deep, deep roots right. of the childhood trauma he experienced he went to um 
a place called, uh, did a therapy at, at the recommendation of one of the board members mm-hmm. he had called Saraset, which is like a brain therapy and it uses mm-hmm. frequencies to detect imbalances in the brain because it, there were times when I literally said, like, I feel like I'm talking to someone with a brain, like, injury because wow. I'm being logical and rational and right. the response I'm getting is not rational and right. logical. Right. Right. <laughs> and I felt like I'm like, I'm either talking to like a five-year-old right. or someone who has like a brain injury. Like there's something wrong with the way you're perceiving everything and everyone around you. And it's right. like, everything's a threat and I have to defend against it. Right. Um, and so they did this brain therapy. They said like, you're um, in so many narcissism in many people diagnosed with narcissism or NPD, which mm-hmm. he was never actually diagnosed with NPD. A lot of people think he was, but he had, but he did have all the eight or nine traits of narcissism right. and it's on a spectrum mm-hmm. like autism. Like there are varying degrees of narcissism, sociopathy, um, psychopath. He did not cl- score high enough to be diagnosed NPD mm-hmm. narcissistic personality disorder, but he had, he was, on the very high end. Right, right. <laughs> you definitely had all the characteristics. So they pretty much said, yes, you could, based on your behavior, you, this would, this profile fits you. And right. it did. Mm-hmm. The behavior was all there. So, but he goes to the center, realizes like my, he, he was afraid, like he didn't have empathy, like his brain wasn't working because there's right. a lot of uh, narcissists or sociopaths. Their brain actually doesn't perceive empathy. Like they don't feel empathy for other people. Right. And I'm thinking like, I don't know how, how do you stay? <laughs> Right. I don't know how right. to work with this. <laughs> that was part of the reason. I'm like, we, we yeah. gotta, we gotta separate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said, no, your empathy center actually works, but you're in a constant state of fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And it's been triggered since you were like seven years old. They could even pinpoint like the age at which, wow. um, response froze his emotional development and his brain. And since then he's been in fight or flight mode, constantly defensive and triggered, which is why everyone would experience him as very defensive blame shifting, gaslighting, all those behaviors were right. coming out of and when this you're, And when you're intelligent, energy. you have a lot more capacity to be able to click yes. those things and make it work for you and maintain that, right? So and you, yes. you have to own it, yes. all that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, he's very brilliant, very intelligent. So he figured out, he knew how to protect himself. And it was all a facade. It was all coping mechanisms here. Right. I'm insecure. I feel like I'm evil like I'm unworthy of love like I I'm you know a bad person I'm I'm trash because of the trauma he can he told himself a lie this is who I must be right and so no one's really gonna love me so so I have to then like manipulate people to love me and I'm gonna be really smart and read a lot of books and teach a lot of people wonderful theologies so that they love and accept me you know and it was and and I feel stupid inside so I'm gonna get really smart Right. And so it drove him to be really successful, to be really intelligent, to write right. 11 books, to have this amazing ministry where everybody looked up to him, but it just fed his broken ego exactly. and his broken inner child. Exactly. So he's, he's realizing, wow, this is the root. This is like where it all stemmed from. And this, yeah. um, you know, the physical and emotional abuse in his childhood mm-hmm. really started, it all started to make sense. He learned then like, oh, it's, he felt emotionally abused and manipulated. So then he learned how that that was okay to do to other people. Right. Like, that's just how you get your needs met. Because yeah. I don't know, like, again, that's normal for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to paint this picture like, oh, you have this label. We're going to label you or diagnose you with narcissism or whatever. I mean, right. there's many mental health disorders and sure. behavioral disorders you can choose to label someone with. And I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, so much of it goes back to 
trauma and how that individual processes their trauma, processes their experiences and tells themselves a story and then responds to that story. And this is how now I'm going to interact with the world because I believe this at the core about myself. Right. You know, like any abuser is a victim first and then they develop unhealthy patterns. And so for the first time, he's getting all these memories back that he did. He blocked out so many of them. He's getting the back. He's coming home. He came home. He did like a week of intensive therapy, came home, told me all about it. And I was like, okay, great. At that point, I was like, I don't really care. Do your thing. It was good though. At the same time, I was like, I was so like, again, guarded. Right. But I saw he was, he came home so much less triggered Mm -hmm. and things that would trigger him in the past. He was like peaceful about. And, and the, the brain therapy they used plays the, the disordered frequencies back to you. So you hear it. Wow. Like in these piano ketones, you hear it, your brain recognizes this is dysfunctional and then corrects itself. It actually heals itself because it's a mirror image of the, the frequencies, the imbalance in the brain, which I thought was fascinating. I'm like, that's great. It's right. And like, like some of the science and the brain science out there now is really wonderfully made, right? Yeah. So I'm still working with my psychologist who's like, okay, Mm -hmm. that's a good sign. But like we, I felt like very strongly I needed to keep my boundaries up. I, and in the past I would have seen something good and just taken them down. Yeah. Like, okay, great. You're healed. You're, you made it work. You're better. Let's just make this work. Right. Um, but I felt like I've been through that so many times. I'm not going to like be manipulated back. I'm not going to pander to this. Like Mm -hmm. do your thing. That's great. I'm going to move on with my life still. Like I, like I, knew I needed to. And he joined another group called the Bulletproof Husband, where it was this essentially an accountability group for men whose marriages were in trouble, either like they were separated, um, their wife wanted a divorce, their partner, you know, they were having affairs, there was lots of men who wanted to save their marriage and their family from divorce, Um, big online group. And he joined this group and started getting lots of feedback into wow. his behaviors because he might come over and then he'd get all triggered and then realizing like, okay, this might be from this, but he didn't have the tools to process right. it. He didn't have right. the tools to go. I'm really triggered. I'm really defensive. I'm hurting people. Right. What do I do with this? Where does this come from? Where right. does this emotion come from? And I don't know how to process it. So he finally felt like he got tools. And in this program, he joined with them uh, after having done this therapy and realizing this is the root. So these are the stories I told myself. Right. I need to take ownership for that. Like it's, I, right. I'm not going to just become the victim and blame my right. parents or blame my upbringing or whatever. I have to own that. This is the story I told myself. Right. And then I chose to do these behaviors. So I saw him start to come back to me and say, like, I realized I accused you of being controlling our whole marriage. And I was actually the controlling one. Right. And I'm so sorry. Like I see now how destructive that was and how that must have, it must have made right. you feel alone and betrayed and like you couldn't trust me and like you were always walking on eggshells and and he would just do this over and over and again he would like write these um he would write like a letter and then come in and read it to me like mm-hmm. i i've ruined every family vacation we've ever had i've ruined holidays because i felt so pressured and triggered and, and weak and insecure in myself and mm-hmm. insecure wow. as a man and so i would take that out on you when i felt triggered and i would hurt you and the kids and ruin all these you know, holidays and vacations. And he would say things like, I, I emotionally used you and I emotionally used other women to like make me feel accepted and loved. Cause I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel worthy of love. And just like after, um, 
there were probably months of this where as he was doing this work with this men's group, he would go and look at the pain and actually face it for the first time. And I think so much of specifically narcissism is like you build this shell around the trauma and the lies that you experience. This like inner you is like trapped inside and everything in your life is basically a wall to keep people from discovering the real you because exactly. the real you is unworthy. Exactly. The real you is a monster, and the real you is all that. Dirt. Yeah. 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 So it was like, there were so many defense mechanisms, so much portrayed to the public. I'm, I have to be smart, I have to be successful. I have to da, 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 da. And like, if anyone poked at it, it would, it would trigger it. And right. so as he's breaking this wall down and like letting out the real him that, that he, that he's, <laughs> you know, been trapped inside, Wow. the empathy i'm seeing the empathy come through because he's not self-protecting anymore he's actually letting himself be seen like wow. true vulnerability true intimacy not just vulnerability That's to get something miraculous. from me not just mm-hmm. vulnerability to garner more sympathy right exactly. but true vulnerability back in. It says mm-hmm. i'm gonna yeah. yeah i'm gonna let you see into me i'm gonna let you wow. see this and wow this is how i've behaved and i get it now and he began to he had i saw him start putting up boundaries toward um, family members that were very unhealthy and toxic. And there was this enmeshment, right? Because all of that behavior, all of that dysfunction came from learned behavior and this trauma. And so when I saw him step into healthy boundaries, I went, okay, this, this means something. He, he would never do this in the past. Um, he ended up, he had to move, move out of his parents' house. And really that began this even deeper journey of like, I have to really own all of these things and, and cut this off. Like a lot of it was generational. There's actually a lot of mental illness in his family line. Um, and he realized I have to cut this off or else my kids are going to suffer. They're, they're going to be susceptible to this and my family. And I need to do the deep emotional work, work. whether that's what you call inner healing or shadow work or, or the therapy. He found what worked for him. He would go into the garage when he felt triggered and he would access the pain he felt he would go where is this from i'm not just reacting to my wife and i think she's controlling me i'm actually reacting as a little five-year-old boy who felt controlled and pushed aside and and i was projecting that on you yeah Mm -hmm. yes right Mm -hmm. instead of projecting it out like Mm -hmm. like a narcissist would do like i'm going to project it back onto you or an insecure person like it's not just narcissism cysts narcissists (laughs) that do this i think any we all struggle with insecurities oh, yeah. we all struggle with triggers and we all you know we project we, we want to blame other people because human nature we don't want to experience pain like we all have everybody has some traits of this Absolutely. so he 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 faced it and it was so incredible to watch this wow. journey from the outside and just go wow he's doing the emotional work which is really what it took to find freedom he would go in the garage and punch a punchy bag and yell and scream wow. for like 45 minutes like at the top of his lungs or go take his car and drive to like an abandoned, you know, some right. uh, empty parking lot and just pound on the steering wheel and scream and cry and let out all the pain because what they taught him in this men's group was, okay, the pain got in emotionally. You can't intellectualize your healing. You can't like yeah. learn a bunch of stuff and get healed, which is what he tried to do for years, really years and years and years. He would just learn more therapies, learn more techniques. And then because the pathology was still there, the insecurity was still there, the trigger was still there, he would just turn it around, project it back onto me and use it as a weapon against me or anyone else who discredited him. (laughs) So so for the first time, he's owning it, taking full responsibility and getting the emotional pain out. And he'd come back and then share with me 
what he what he did and then take ownership and apologize for the abusive behavior and that came over the course of months all summer long in um 2020 from like april to july he went at this hardcore i think he was so excited because he felt like he'd been trying to get to the root for so many years i mean he battled suicide and suicidal thoughts and did everything you could have made, all the conferences, all the, the things. Mm-hmm. And it never really worked. It never really got to the right issue. So once he found this technique that like got the pain out, yeah, he was like, I feel like a man for the first time in my life. I feel like yeah. I'm actually taking ownership and responsibility. And I've been avoiding responsibility my entire life because if I took responsibility, it would mean I'm evil and weak exactly. and a bad person. And, and now he's facing the fact that. Yeah. Anything I can to deflect that. Because then the yeah. real me, I'm not getting agreement with what the real me is or showing you what the real me is. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. And, and the fear was if I own this, that means I'm a bad person. Right. But he had to face all the bad things he did mm-hmm. in order to heal and, and reintegrate with himself mm-hmm. first right. before trying to heal it with me or patch it up or, or heal it with anybody else that he'd hurt. He had to heal himself and integrate with himself and accept himself just like I had come to this place of acceptance with him Mm -hmm. before and then realized okay but you're still not whole like I Mm -hmm. so so this journey watching it play out realize and then seeing this tremendous changes in in his personality and in our relationship you know Mm -hmm. and there were Anytime he'd get triggered or we'd get into an argument and I would just walk away. I was like, I'm not even going to waste right. my energy arguing with you anymore. Right. And he would take that, go to his men's group, talk to like, he was talking to two or three men a day. They were pounding him on like, wow. nope, you got to deal with this, holding him accountable to like the, a higher standard that he's ever felt accountable to. And then dealing with the emotional work. And after months of this, and he would, he probably delivered like 10 or 12 letters to me, taking ownership for all the abusive behavior in our relationship wow. over 16 years. Um, so really helped me. It broke down my walls in a healthy way, not in a manipulative way, but in a way that was like, I can see you're taking ownership and that this change is real. And it really began to, I slowly began to give myself permission to trust him again. But as soon as I felt like my body was like, Oh no, he's doing that thing. He's getting a little He's getting a little unhealthy. I would just kind of shut down and, and, walk away and say, you know, I'm, I don't feel safe in this conversation. I don't feel, you know, like healthy or heard, or I don't feel like I'm being valued or respected right now. I don't, or I don't like the way you're talking to me, or I don't really agree with this perspective. I'm just going to exit the conversation, um, which would cause it like when I stopped trying to control everything, uh, or I should say when I stopped trying to like be heard Mm -hmm. and understood, Mm -hmm. which was kind of futile, futile for a long time. Right. when I stopped allowing him, giving him that privilege to hurt me because, oh, he's rejecting me. He's arguing me. He's not valuing me. He's not hearing me. But I came to this point where I know and value myself. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to affirm that. I right. know who I am. I know I have every right to walk away from this and right. say, okay, you figure it out. This is not my problem. Right. I'm not going right. to solve your problem. You have to solve it. That's amazing. Um, when it comes back on the person they, yeah. it's on them. They have to figure out what to do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really, my heart was my only leverage. My heart was what I held close to myself and said, I am going to value and protect my heart and myself first. And you have to earn the access mm-hmm. to my heart and my vulnerability. And if I don't feel safe, even if I don't intellectually understand why, and mm-hmm. I can't pinpoint, oh, this is the behavior that 
that's not okay. Right. I didn't always understand it, but there was just something in me that went, oh, that my body says no. Right. Okay. It's not safe. Right. And so I would just say, I don't feel safe. I'm going to, you know, walk away. And so that would actually cause him to look back at himself, go get back into the garage, punch his punching bag, get the pain out and do the work. And then he'd come back and own it. Wow. And so, um, I think by July, August, I felt like it was safe to welcome him home. We actually went on vacation, which is kind of like my litmus test for, is this really, really like gonna, is this change real? Because he couldn't last the whole vacation without getting triggered and defensive and, you know, ruining it in some way. (laughs) So we went on this family vacation. And he was so, it was completely different than every other time. He didn't get triggered at all. It was, he was so supportive. Um, and then he went like on a backpacking trip. He really just took ownership for his life in, in a big way. And I felt in, even in working with the psychologist, I would share with him what he was doing. And the psychologist who was an expert in narcissism and grooming right. said, this is a miracle. Like that doesn't happen. I have wow. never in his whole career, he had never seen a quote unquote narcissist, um, change and, and find that level of transformation and healing. And so that also gave me a clue, like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not right. just like exactly. making this up and trying to make it work. Yeah. I'm not being manipulated back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he really felt like, yeah, it does. It makes sense. Like, um, I think, I think it would, if you feel safe with this, like, um, invite him back. So he moved back in, um, at the end of July, early August. And, um, stayed in the guest room though for like another month or two because um, again my body I just felt like I needed more time and I learned to honor myself instead of bowing to the pressures of what anybody else thought especially him like oh this is how you should do it oh you need to get healing I'm doing the work but you're not like all these accusations that would make me feel like I'm now just being controlled again or manipulated um or even like what the church would say like oh you you need to stay with him you need to support him and divorce is a sin and um, there were people in that camp because mm-hmm. again, it's a public thing. And I knew right. there were people like, we're praying for every day. And I really felt those prayers mm-hmm. <laughs> for any right. of you who, who was those people that felt the prayers. I felt them so strongly, right. um, during a lot of these times. Mm-hmm. And then I was, there was also, I had to grapple with this. Like, what if, if I leave him, people are going to be like, Oh, like, divorce is a sin and all of this. Mm-hmm. But if I stay, there's a, another group of people that are going to be like, I can't believe you stayed with a predator. <laughs> And a groomer and a narcissist, how, you know, oh my goodness. <laughs> when I was like, right. it doesn't matter what I do, right. Right. I'm going to offend somebody. Right. I'm going to be judged. Right. And, and one of the biggest snare, though, like, so who are you going to follow? Right. What are you, right? Yeah. Like, am I going to listen to you? Am I going to follow you? And I eventually came to this point of going, I'm going, I, I'm not, I'm not here to please anybody. Right. I don't owe anybody an explanation. I don't need to prove myself to anyone. And I had to face my fear of judgment and rejection and abandonment mm-hmm. in the biggest way ever, because I realized what was keeping me codependent, what was keeping me afraid of rejection was my own fear of abandonment mm-hmm. that right. came from my childhood, right? We sure. all have childhood trauma. Like no matter how Dang. wonderful your, our parents are, <laughs> we all yeah. carry some childhood trauma that influences how we engage in relationships right. and as an adult. And right. I realized I was deeply afraid of emotional abandonment, which is essentially the world I was living in for right. 15, 16 right. years, right. being married so to a narcissist. Living your nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so 
facing this and, and having some of my good friends, you know, feeling like I had to prove myself to them or, or some of the leaders or the, the students or all the people around us, I realized, oh my gosh, I need to let that go. There were relationships I had to walk away from because I realized that's not a healthy relationship. If I feel like I have, to, if I'm going to be judged for my decisions or right. if I have to prove myself to you or you somehow earn your love and respect (laughs) and acceptance. I had to work for acceptance. And I just came to this point of going, God, I, you accept me. Mm -hmm. And I had to come to this point. I, I know what I'm doing is what you led me. Like I, I feel peace about it and I have to follow this intuition inside me and trust myself and stop self-sabotaging. Stop trying to win people's approval out of a fear of rejection and the fear of abandonment. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. set me free to walk away when the relationship did get unhealthy or walk away from relationships where I didn't feel ex- fully accepted for who I was. Exactly. Um, and it just set me, I, God just did such a work in my heart in navigating this. And it was so confusing and so lonely and so isolating at times. But every time I knew he was there walking with me and he was guiding me and it, and actually developed, it was like he stripped everybody else away mm-hmm. so that I could learn to depend on him and actually trust my own intuition and body and, and what, and this, cause he's in me, right? right like exactly. he's there guiding, he's guiding Leading me the whole you time. And from the inside. This is not like an angelic yeah. visitation, but yeah. I mean that, how, how do we learn to be, to be led? And there's no roadmap that says, well, healthy looks like this. No, this is this was your journey, what you needed to do, and what you needed to learn to connect with yourself in that place with you and him so that yeah. you could be led. Because so much of that kind of personality, you, 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 you're, you're, um, you're, you're trained to distrust what's going on inside. Yep. Because yes. you're being you're told to what this reality and is. Disassociate yes. from your own intuition mm-hmm. and what what your heart spirit is saying. Exactly. You, you literally have to abandon that in right. order to fit and right. bond with someone else who's, and it's a lot, that's a lot, where a lot of the control and codependency, you know, comes from. Exactly. And then they're the same person after they hurt you, they come back right. to help make it better. And then there's trauma bonds that happen. And there's all exactly. kinds of like this very, <laughs> the cycle, the cycle yes. continues. Right. And so it, I just got this point of, I'm fed up. Like, this needs this needs to happen and then having that separation and then seeing him go through his own journey while I went through my own journey mm-hmm. of breaking off mm-hmm. shame I think that wow like I had so much shame because it was so public like how am I going to be known how is he going to be known are my kids going to grow up reading articles about him like online like there was so much shame I had to break through mm-hmm. and fears of of rejection and in walking through this having God just strip me of that, like piece by piece and coming to this place of, I need to be authentic to me right. and make my own choices right. in wisdom with counsel, but knowing like I can trust myself exactly. above anybody else and, and trust that God is leading me. And so um he did that. And after coming home and I saw him continue the work, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm just, I'm home. I'm I'm won. Yes, I got it. I got her back. Like, okay, I'm we're done. We're <laughs> like, yeah. No, it was like, <laughs> I saw him stick with the program. He, you know, he's been in this program now for over a year and now he's, he's being trained as a coach to help. And he actually loves the accountability and he yeah. always hated it. He actually never had male friends yeah. because 
didn't want to be held accountable for his life. Wow. <laughs> he was intimidated by strong wow. men. And wow. now he has so many uh, strong men who hold him accountable. And he's been in this coaching program with them. And he's now been asked to help um, other men who are in similar situations that we were wow. in a year ago, help rebuild trust with right. their wife. Um, and save their their family from divorce and he loves it he's like i i could do he he would spend hours on the phone either getting coached get being held accountable or or holding other men accountable and it became this camaraderie this brotherhood of being totally vulnerable and real like i've never heard men be so vulnerable about their struggles and their emotions and their traumas and i don't hear a lot like but he'll just share bits and pieces with me and i'm like that's amazing. Like, I don't know of any other group that does this wow. where men can be that vulnerable about their insecurities and then be held to a standard mm-hmm. that says, here's how you deal with that. Right. Like, and, we're, and if you don't, we're going to call you up next week and here's your consequence. Like, it was just, it was so cool <laughs> to see. Cause then I, wow. I got to let go. I was like, that's not my job. It's not Yay, my job to hold you accountable. Right. That's the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you can choose to disengage or not. But, mm-hmm. but I saw him follow through, keep his word, own everything all the behavior mm-hmm. and it really just rebuilt trust with me and so for the last year we've been in this place where even though trust hasn't been rebuilt in the public eye mm-hmm. he i so trust his ability to take ownership and responsibility now yeah. just in our family and we've been it's been the best year for our marriage and our family and i i just am i'm praising god really because it's like i feel like we've been in our little bubble enjoying right. this amazing season even though like and the world at the same time was kind of in chaos with COVID and the pandemic and right. yet and, and at the end I walked through that trauma but then as God like rebuilt it piece by piece and rebuilt my trust and rebuilt um dishonor um it was really a truly amazing to to see God answer his prayers and actually at the very beginning when it all blew up this is kind of what, what always shocks me is you know when when the news came out in September of 2018 and I didn't even understand like what, what was going on. Like what, there was so much I didn't, we, I didn't understand. And, right. and, and a lot of people didn't understand. Um, I said, God, what are you doing? Like, what is happening? My right. life is, I felt like I was trying to hold on to my life and it was just falling apart through my fingertips. Right. Like the business, the ministry, the reputation, the marriage, everything. Right. Right. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm using this to make him into the husband and the man that you've always prayed for. And I was like, okay, God. So many times during Good this process, you. I said, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, mm-hmm. but aren't you? That, that's your job. You, you got your work cut out for you. Yeah. <laughs> that is a, a, a God sized job, but oh my goodness, how masterful is God? And that's yeah. what I love. So when, 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 you know, people are saying, well, you know, this, this does is not curable. Well, uh, there's a lot of things that are not curable, but God. And, right. you know, um, and, and not to, uh, downplay the complexity and the depth of that. Um, and then also I love that, love the fact that as painful as it was, it wasn't a, a, um, wave the magic wand kind of be cast it out type of deal. This is a lot of hard work. I mean, you know, Tons like, like yeah. you guys were so hard, hard work. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't, yeah, when it really it, was not just a, okay, I repent. I right. say, I'm sorry. Right. Everybody needs to forgive and we move on. Right. And I think that that misunderstanding, especially in the church, mm-hmm. is very destructive 
because the church by and large, I don't think has an understanding of mental illness and, right. and, and behavioral um, personality dysfunctions like right. this. Mm-hmm. And so we enable a lot of it because we look and we go, oh, they're apologizing. They're repentant. Right, right. So we, we need to welcome them back in. We need to like, you know, what, whatever the case may be, right. we shame women for putting right. up healthy boundaries toward right. abusive husbands right. or, being or people who are in abusive leadership with in, in church settings. Right. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. that gets thrown under this cover of just forgive mm-hmm. and move on and, and turn the other cheek. And I think it's destructive and minimizing to when true abuse is happening and it doesn't understand the pathology. Right of a true mental illness that we right. really aren't equipped to handle in a big way in the church. And so it really gave me this walking through this gave me so much um, empathy for people who have felt abused and, and neglected in abusive leadership situations and for victims of spiritual abuse, right. which is, there's a lot of that in the church and really, especially for women who are in abusive relationships and don't even know it. Right. Or they feel unheard. They, they know, like I can hear someone, like I talked to one girl in a, a mops group who mm-hmm. was telling me her story. And I was like, yeah, yep. And then this happens and this happens. I said, you know, this is, this is what I see. She told me 10 minutes of her story and she, then she responded right. and she said, I've been trying to get my therapist to understand this for six months and you just nailed it in 10 minutes. Wow. I was like, yeah. Because I've lived it for 15 years. Exactly. I'm familiar. Whatever you call it. Like, yeah. But it doesn't get healed just by going to a a family therapist or going, you know, like there's so many things we do to try to fix it. Right. That doesn't really get at the root because every individual has to take ownership for their life. They have to deal with, we all, every single one, whether you were abused by uh, someone or you were a victim or you were you're a narcissist or whoever right. you are, we all have to take ownership for our Absolutely. own traumas, for the traumas that people did to us and for our childhood traumas and how we interpret those and live our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me such a deep compassion and understanding, even for people who struggle with mental illness and childhood trauma and addiction. Like it really, right. narcissism is just another form of addiction. Exactly. It's an addiction to people's praise. Right. It's an addiction to approval, right. but it's still an addiction. And the behaviors the cycles are very similar to an addict who might be on drugs or, or alcohol. It just is a right. different dependency. And it's also and more it, socially acceptable, right? Because we can, a right. lot of the high performers, right? right. Um, you know, so we praise that and whatever, and it's just all part of that cycle. And it's coming out of a place of a false identity uh, where yeah. I'm, I'm feeding off of your praise, your approval, um, to prop up, prop me up because who I am inside is whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really, that's amazing. So Karen, if someone is like, Oh crap, I think this may be me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is like, it's such an inappropriate laugh. I'm so sorry. But I mean, you know, sometimes you're like, crap, you know, I, I think this is me. I'm seeing what steps would you, you know, obviously people are going to need to be led. And, 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 and if you're really seeking out as you're following the Lord, even as Karen did, because she made some faulty starts, she made some, and sometimes you start off with this particular methodology, this particular ministry, and then you mm-hmm. need to glean from another one and they take you so far and it is okay. I mean, the bottom line, Holy Spirit will lead you where you need to go to get what you need to get. Um, and so it's okay. It doesn't have to look like one thing, but what, what would you say, Karen, just to help people? 
Well, first, I would tell any woman in that situation who feels like, oh, my gosh, this might be me. Maybe I'm married to a narcissist or this relationship might be abusive. I don't know if it is or in a spiritually abusive situation at their church. I'd say, number one, I believe you and your intuition is never wrong. If it feels unsafe, it probably is. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to what's going on inside you. That's a voice. Yeah. So often of truth and, and yeah. yeah. So pay attention to that. Even yeah. if you've been trained to dismiss it or cover yeah. it up or bypass it or override it. Um, you always yeah. get problems when you override that still small voice, that voice inside you. Yeah. Keep yeah. going. Sorry. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It took me years to learn to trust that voice. Right. And I, and while I wouldn't wish what I went through on anybody, right. the, what I learned on the other side of it, I will never give up because I feel in myself so much more powerful and authentic because I can now show you who I am. I can be authentic to me, which makes me feel safer because who I show up as right. is the truth. Right, I, exactly. I don't have to put up a wall. I don't have to be afraid of your reaction. I don't have to right. be afraid of you rejecting me. Rejecting you don't have to your, read the room your, to figure out what I'm supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Oh, I would do that all the time. Like right. exactly. analyze the room and who do I need to be to be accepted? Right. Like mm-hmm. I, it, I just lived that way. And, mm-hmm. and this has just broken that off. So number one to a woman, I would say, trust that inner voice. Trust, even if nobody believes you. Right. Because a lot of women in these abusive situations, the husband is very good at manipulating everyone in their inner circle to believe them and think that that the other one is the real problem. Right. Right. She's just being emotional. She's overreacting. She's controlling. She's X, Y, Z. Right. And so we, there, we get conditioned with like, oh, I'm the one that has to work on me. I'm the problem. And we buy into that. And I'm just, I would say like, no. You don't, you need to listen to yourself first. And then I would say find a counselor, a psychologist, a therapist, somebody who understands the ins and outs of narcissism and, mm-hmm. and do not go to a, a marriage and family therapy counselor because they're not equipped to do, to deal with this. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've been to several and mm-hmm. it was a waste of money because they, they might empathize with me. They might sympathize right. with my story right. or they might try to cut like, facilitate conversation between me and my husband, but he would just end up either manipulating them or I would walk away feeling even more unheard and it would break my trust even more. And so finding someone to work with one-on-one, not with your partner, not with whoever you feel um, abused or or in a situation that's not healthy or dysfunctional, Mm -hmm. don't do it with them. It has to be a path where you deal with your codependency Mm -hmm. and your wounds and they deal with, their manipulation, their, their childhood trauma. Like you have to do that because to come together is going to recreate the dysfunction. Exactly. It just perpetuates the cycle of the abuser and the codependent. You have to really separate and even fi- having a physical separation may be necessary. I don't know your situation, but finding someone who understands those, um, those behaviors in and out, they, spe- in fact, that they specialize in it. I think that's really important. Otherwise, you're just going to go around and around in circles exactly. for years exactly. trying to find help and then being disappointed and disillusioned over and over again because the cycle will continue unless exactly. you put your foot down in a really big, really firm way mm-hmm. to say, I'm not participating in this anymore. Right. So w- women will typically go around those cycles forever in a, in a relationship mm-hmm. like this um, until they get fed up and, right. and, and then they just leave. But if you can find someone who can help you navigate that and make sure you know you're not crazy, (laughs) 
like, I, I needed people to tell me that sometimes. Like, no, you're right. not crazy. This right. is really dysfunctional. Oh, this uh, is true. <laughs> <laughs> and someone like Catherine who can like help you. I, I needed different people at different mm-hmm. stages. Like mm-hmm. someone like Catherine helped me bandage myself up when I was just bloody and broken and feeling like a complete failure, a complete mess. Like I had no trust in myself. I had no idea what was, what, which way was up and down mm-hmm. to have someone come alongside and help me. But I also couldn't stay there in right. victim mode right. and woe is me and go, Oh, he right. did this to me. He's the bad guy. I'm the victim. Right. And I think a lot of that is perpetuated in the talk about narcissism and, and these disorders right. is right. that they're bad people. They'll never change. They're right. evil right. and you have to get out. And and there may be, they may never change. That's the sad reality is many, 99% of them don't. And I realize now, like, I get why 99% don't change because what I saw my husband have to fight for and walk through to get his healing is something most, most men I don't think have the capacity or the strength or the energy to do to really stick with it that long. Um, Mm -hmm. But there may be, it may coming to the realization of like, what are you, what's keeping you there? Mm And what do you need to do to find, to focus on your own healing and not have to try to focus on fixing the relationship or your, or your partner. Um, there's so much more I could say about that, but I'm not an expert on it by any means. I just have my own lived experience, my own life. And I know what, what, what God did for me and how, where he brought us and me coming to a place of, of looking at my own heart, of owning my, my, my own triggers, my wounds. I couldn't have done what I did had I not been able to face that and look at it for myself and go, okay, this, this needs to change. And I'm, I'm the linchpin. I'm the one that needs to take the step and put my foot down and and hold the boundary. Um, and then he, and then you let go. Mm -hmm. Like I had to then let go and not try to micromanage his healing, which is really hard to do sometimes. Um, but coming to that place with the Lord of acceptance, right. And then getting the help you need to heal, heal the trauma, heal the pain. And then how do you navigate a relationship that is dysfunctional in a healthy way? You do need people around you to support you to help you do that. And, and finding those right people can be hard, but it's worth it. And that investment is worth it in yourself and in your family. Um, and trusting that God's going to provide for all of those means. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, um Wow, this is my, I mean, God is faithful to really bring what we need if we're will, if we're going to, if, if we're willing to press in and work on ourselves, which is where our power is. So Karen, um, if someone wants to contact you, you have a whole other ministry, which is totally amazing. And I want to bring you back on sometime to talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, but if people want to find you, uh, how would they go about doing that? Um, pain-free birth that you mentioned is my, um, the work I do with women with birth and childbirth education. And really it's amazing to see how God has expanded that in me as I stepped into my identity and found my truth to be able to navigate this process. It gave, it broke off the shame and the self-doubt I had in every area of my life. And so I've seen my business thrive and so <laughs> um, amazing. And it's just been incredible to see what God does. So yeah, you can contact me. Uh, my website is painfreebirth.com. My Instagram is painfreebirth. Um, all so those amazing. news work. <laughs> Yay. Oh, wow. Well, Karen, that's amazing. You are courageous and beautiful and powerful and such a champion, but boy, you had to, I, I, you worked hard. You worked really hard and that is so amazing. And I, I just commend you for that. I'm just so happy now that that 
the happy part is here. (laughs) There is a happy part after the hard work, not long and happy, but true. Like, wow, this is worth it. There's something on the other side. And whether it is um, uh, doing the hard work for any kind of uh, personal wholeness uh, process, there's something on the other side that's so amazing. And we get to be authentically who we are. Um, and, 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 and be able to, um, be able to, uh, contribute out of that place. Purpose flows from that. And I do think that's so amazing. So you're amazing. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me and letting me share my story. (laughs) That's so amazing. All right, everybody. Well, share this with someone who needs this. I I know there's a lot of you out there, uh, and we want to strip off that shame and empower you. Um, and, and just stand with you in your process. So uh, thanks, everybody. Have an amazing day. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.